This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go business storytellers. Hey, how's everyone doing today? We want to talk about this very interesting topic, and I'm shocked, 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 shocked that there is not already 10,000 books on this topic out there. I am not a copywriter, but I will give you an opinion. This is the concept of where somebody comes to you and says, I'm not a live streamer, but let me give you feedback that you don't necessarily want or need, or that's not helpful to begin with um, on your live stream. I'm not a live streamer, but I have opinions. I don't have any hair, but I have opinions on that too. So why is this a thing? Why are people doing that? How do we work with them? And the reality is, as a writer, as a content strategist, whatever, at the end of the day, you do have to work with people, right? So they will have opinions, right or wrong or annoying or sometimes malicious potentially, but how do we work with them? So we got Josh Womack on the show today. He wrote this book. You can check it out on Amazon, uh, relatively quick read. Um, so welcome to the show, Josh. Give me a fist bump, Pierre. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Hanging in there. The windows are open. It is not too hot. There's definitely no heat wave in Iowa today. But ask me again, as they say, in 15 minutes, right? That's probably everywhere. Um, so tell me about the book. First of all, like, why did you write it? I mean, you do work as a copywriter, but you've not always been a copywriter, right? So why? tell me about the, the journey in sharing this important story. Yeah, I think any writer has their own unique journey to how they get to whatever writing platform that they're at, whether you're a journalist, a copywriter, a content strategist. Um, I've only been a copywriter, I say only, I've been doing it for about seven years. And before that, I uh, kind of dabbled in a lot of different things. I dabbled in stand-up comedy. Uh, I dabbled in speech writing. I dabbled in a very, very short stint in pro wrestling, um, which I talk about in the book a little bit. Um, but really, you know, all those different experiences, stand-up, speech writing, they all were stepping stones, I believe, to copywriting. And, you know, I used those previous experiences to mold my own style of copywriting. And I talk about it in the book about everyone's previous experiences um, when they're a copywriter, they somehow add up to having a unique voice in how you write copy, whether you're writing direct mail, social media, email copy, whatever it might be, those distinct life experiences, even if they're in a non-writing platform, even if you are a bartender, a landscaper, whatever it may be, those somehow find a home in your writing when you eventually sit down and do the work. So the book was something that I think is just an extension of me as a writer. I had never tackled anything like this before. I had written blogs and articles, um, you know, but usually those are around the 700 to maybe 1200 word, you know, kind of limit there. This was kind of a nice stretch project. 
And like you mentioned in the beginning, it's a pretty short read. It's only about 15,000 words. So you translate that to reading time. It's about a 45 to 50 minute read straight through. Um, but it was just something I've always wanted to do. And um, yeah, there, there you have it. That's awesome. And congratulations on getting that out there. Uh, certainly 15,000 words is still a good chunk of words for anyone to write. Now, you talk about the previous experience, and this is very interesting to me because I um, I struggle with that sometimes because, you know, all the previous experiences you've been to, they affect everything, every negative experience you've had, every positive experience you've had, right? So every time somebody says something and they don't mean it the way that, that you took it, but but... And years ago, you work with some jerk or whatever who said something and it was, I don't want to say malicious, but you know what I mean? It's its a power play. Um, and, and certainly those things still affect us. The other thing, um, maybe let's circle back to that in a minute, but talk about the different types of writing. So I actually don't think of myself as a copywriter. I'd be interested to hear what your definition is. I think of myself as a content strategist, even though I spend a good amount of time writing. Um, but the, the differentiation to me is I am trying to please the people that come to my my content, but I'm also trying to figure out how do I pick the right words, you know? So it's probably more um, not on the technical SEO side, but definitely on the content SEO side, which that doesn't scream copywriter to me, but tell me if I'm wrong. If I am, it's totally fine. No, you're right. I think one of the things that I think about with copywriting is obviously you have a creative brief, you have your client, you have what your client's objectives are, and you have a creative director. So you, you kind of have two bosses, so to speak, but they are hiring you or asking you to write something for your unique take on it, for your experiences. And that's what they're paying for. When you pay for a copywriter, obviously you're paying for the writing, but it's those experiences up to that very point where the copywriter sits down at their computer and actually starts typing stuff up that, you know, that's the, I guess you could say that's, that's the gist of why people want to do this. Um, it's, they want to, you know, interpret their world in kind of like a fun, unique way. And I always think a good copywriter will tell you a funny truth, almost like a comedian does. And they'll kind of do it right in front of your face. Um, you know, and not all copy leans towards, you know, humorous things or, or little jokes. But I read a book about a year ago by um, a copywriter over the pond. His name's Andrew Bolton. And he wrote a book called Copyright, Copywriting Is dot, dot, dot. And it's 30 or 40 just random observations about kind of what goes into being a copywriter. And I quoted him in my book too, but he had a great quote. He said, copywriting is a wink among screens. And I always thought that was really neat because a good piece of copy might not get you to slap your knee or to laugh out loud, but when the client sees it, when the creative director sees it, if they can just give like a little nod or kind of like a little smirk that they get the joke, then I think the copywriter has done his or her job. Very interesting. And so, uh, you know, when I think of the content I create and the content I've created throughout my career, it's very much on the journalistic side, right? I mean, even today, um, you know, we, we create a podcast, a live stream, and then I create more content from that content, but I'm not ghostwriting. I'm not, I'm actually writing in my own voice for the most part. And I'm really just 
sharing almost like a news article based on what the experts, i.e. the sources, said. But when I hear you talk about a copywriter, that's really more on the side of you're ta- like you're you're putting down on paper what the the you know what the your client would say, right? So it's really more on that side. Yeah, it's you know, like I said, you're 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 answering the two bosses. You're answering on the client side. You're yeah. answering on the creative side. Um, but it's it's getting to your client's goals and objectives. Um, in a way that maybe they wouldn't think of. And that's really why they hire you as a creative. They, they're hiring you to think differently. They're, they're hiring you to um, kind of see the world in a different way. And again, I go back to comedy a little bit because I did stand-up many, many moons ago. But you know, stand-ups see the world in a little bit of a different way. They see the nuances. They see the absurdities. Um, and all those little you know, life experiences along the way like I said, they somehow find a home in, in copywriting and you could be writing subject line and pre-headers uh, for an email. Uh, you could be writing, like I said, direct mail. You could be writing a radio spot, a 15 second, a 30 second radio spot. And, you know, based on your own unique experiences, chances are you're going to write something that no other copywriter in the world will think of. I mean, they, they may think of a similar idea, but no one's going to exactly interpret it quite like how you do. What's interesting about um, writing it like nobody else has. Um, so I do have uh, sponsored articles from time to time on ChristophTrap.com. Probably had three actually in the last 10 days. And I always run them through uh, Grammarly. Um, first of all, just the, the, you know, the grammar and usage, but also through the plagiarism piece of Grammarly. And, you know, every once in a while you have a match, but it's like, this is really a common way of saying that, right? Like they didn't copy that one phrase, but in general, just by having, you know, writing it your own, you have a different topic. Now, before I get into goals and objectives, I want to ask you about that. I just can't let this go by, Josh. What happened to wrestling? Like this is like pro wrestling, like what, tell, tell us that story. Yeah, that was a, a very short and painful learning experience. And uh, <laughs> if, you look at me, if you look at me right now, yeah, um, I honest, obviously don't have the look or the physique um, or really any of the skills needed to be a pro wrestler. But I think when you're young and dumb, you kind of think you can do anything. And it was it was kind of a beautiful time because, you know, you just you want to try something. So you figure, why not? I wasn't married. I didn't have kids or anything like that. So I had... Uh, done a little research in a pro wrestling schools and I talk about it in the book, but pro wrestling schools are, are littered all over the country. And uh, a lot of them are, are held by former pro wrestlers, um, independent wrestlers and independent wrestlers are those, I guess you could call them those wrestlers in like the, um, like the triple, the triple a like baseball league of wrestling. Um, so there's a lot of independent wrestling promotions throughout the country that will do shows in small concert venues um, high school gymnasiums, what have it. And there happened to be one here in Cleveland uh, called Firestorm Pro Wrestling. And I found uh, the tryout ad on Craigslist, naturally. And so it seemed like a good idea. And they were having tryouts at a uh, at an old theater on a, in a suburb of Cleveland. So I went there and um, it was funny. 
I walked into the building and it was February in Cleveland. So it was freezing. Uh, it was overcast skies and it was, you know, post holidays. So it was just that time of year where a lot of us are just cold and mildly depressed. Um, so I walked into this building and I walked in, I noticed I didn't feel any warmer. And I found out later on from one of the other wrestlers uh, that the wrestling promotion to, to get a good deal on the space um, for they foregoed uh, heat and running water um, just to get a good, a good deal on the venue. Uh, so I was, I was pretty chilly and like I said, no running water. And it was, uh, it was a learning experience. You know, I got in the ring, there was probably 15 or 20 guys and they make you run the ropes, which is basically what wrestlers do on TV all the time. And it's something that looks really easy, but in reality, it's very, very hard. You have to hit the ropes a certain way to bounce off of them. And then another thing I talk about in the book is on TV, the wrestling ropes look very, very soft and inviting. But in reality, at least on the local level, they're pretty much steel cables wrapped in electrical tape. So when you're hitting those those steel cables with, you know, the your back shoulder, uh, there's definitely some welts that form. And just running the ropes for 60 seconds was very, very hard. It was uh, everybody was gassed. People were thrown up. So you learn how to do that, and then you learn how to bump, and that's basically how to properly get body slammed or to hit the mat. And there is a right way to do it because you obviously don't want to hit it with your head, um, and you want to kind of like have your arms out to evenly disperse the shock of your body. And long story short, um, I struggled with bumping the right way. I got a really bad concussion after a practice. The room was spinning. It was the first time I ever had vertigo before, and um, – I was only 90 days in. So I went to a neurologist. I kind of told him what I was up to. And he just told me in not so many words, if you have safer career options, I would quit wrestling. So that was, that was the end of it. But um, definitely an experience. I always look back at fondly. And it was funny a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine who was one of the instructors at the wrestling school um, was doing new classes. And I was really, really intrigued to give it another go. At the time, I was 38. I'm 39 now. And I had it in my mind that wouldn't it be really cool if I went back and kind of finished what I started? And I had this idea that I would go back at age 38, learn wrestling for two years, and then I could have both my debut and my farewell match at age 40 and kind of bring everything full circle. I suggested the idea to my wife. She wasn't a huge fan of it. And then in hindsight, I said, eh, maybe... I don't know, maybe I should stick to the day job. So that never went anywhere, but I don't know. It was, it was the dreamer in me thinking, Oh, that, that could have been cool. Interesting story. And of course, everything seems easier than it is until you have to do it, which is probably part of the reason why everybody thinks, you know, they can have an opinion on copywriting and, and really anything in creative, quite frankly. So earlier you mentioned goals and objectives um, how do we determine what the goals and objectives are? I mean, I used to kind of joke a little bit, and, you know, it's probably closer to the truth than, than a joke. But, you know, when I grew up in journalism, the goal and objective was just to please my boss. Nobody knew whether or not anybody read the articles. Nobody knew anything, right? It was on printed paper. Circulation was whatever, 80, 100, 150, whatever the number might have been. And, you know, that's like nobody knew today we can tell whether or not content is working. If your goal is SEO, we can tell whether that's working or not, but, but how do we determine what's the right goals and objectives when it comes to writing? That's a great, 
That's a great question. I think for initially for the copywriter, it's is the copy I'm providing. Does it answer the brief? Does it answer the objective? Does it answer the the main message that the that the client is trying you know to get across? Um, and what's nice about writing, I'll give I'll just say email copy for example. You know, email copy is interesting because there's a lot of moving parts. You have to write the subject line in the preheader, which is what appears in your Gmail inbox. Um, so it's kind of like your first initial look at what that email is. And then if the subject line, the preheader is um, enticing enough, maybe you'll open the email. And then when you open the email, you'll see the headline. And the headline is like an extension of the subject line in the preheader. It's trying to get that main point across. And if the copywriter has done his or her job, hopefully, knock on wood, fingers crossed, then the reader or the you know customer or potential customer will read that body copy of that email. And then who knows, you know, they may click on that learn more button. They may click on that, uh, you know, sign up button. And obviously with goals and objectives of the client, it's how many people visited the landing page, how many people opted in for this product or this trial, things like that. I think for me, though, when it's just myself in a Word document, I always go back to part of the brief that says, what's the most compelling message? And that acts as my North Star, so to speak. So I want to make sure that the subject line has an element of that um, most compelling message, that the headline reflects it, and then the body copy kind of trickles down from that. So for me, that most compelling message is... um, like I said, it kind of acts as the North Star to hopefully get me to those goals and objectives. So who do, who decides what the most compelling message is? I mean, so for example, when I grew up in journalism, everybody was fighting anything data-driven, right? How come a machine can tell me how my how good my content is? And now we have machines writing content. And now, if you guys haven't checked it out, I got Christoph's Content Corner, the podcast. It's currently available on Spotify only and on Beams. I think it's beams.fm forward slash ctrap. And it's completely AI generated. It's not even my voice. It's literally just a computer voice. Sounds pretty good. It's the, His name is Michael. Literally has a name. There's a bunch of different people that you can use. And, you know, I'm just like, that would have been unheard of 15 years ago or whatever. So how much is data-driven when it comes to what's the most compelling message. And what I was actually going to say about the email, so Jay uh, Schwedelson, I think that's his last name, Schwedelson, subjectline.com, he's the founder. He was on the show. And I use subjectline.com all the time now, right? So if, if I have a subject, I'm like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And I run it through there and it gets a score of 52 out of 100. It is not a good subject line, even if I think it's great, even if the the boss thinks it's great. So how do you kind of mesh those two things together in your experience? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it, has, a lot of the work is up front. So especially in the creative brief that, you know, the copywriters and the designers are given, a lot of work has already been done by the account manager and the client, you know, de- deciphering what is it we want to accomplish with this communication. Um, and a lot of it is, data driven. It's, you know, they look at trends to see kind of what people are responding to. um, And, you know, what is, what is playing well in that space? Do we want to go with longer copy? Do we want to go with shorter copy? And I think, you know, you were talking about uh, subjectline.com and I talk about it in the book, but, you know, 
I always have a good rule of three for subject lines and preheaders, um, and with headlines in general, where you know the first headline or the first subject line is that safe one. It's that safe one that answers the brief that you know is kind of the the conservative option that is just matter of fact and it kind of checks the boxes. And then that's like I said, that's number one. That's the safe option. And then the second option is the one that pushes it pushes the concept just a little bit. So maybe it's a subject line with an emoji or two, if it calls for it. Or maybe it's got just it's a little bit um, among screams. I think about, you know, kind of pushing it a little bit, that second option. And then the third option for your headline or your subject line is that option that only you can come up with. Um, it's that option that probably won't get chosen by the client. But it's kind of good to, um, you know, to shoot for the stars anyway or hit for the fences. And again, you give you kind of have those three options. So it's nice when you see those three options on a Word document, the account person and then the client can kind of see your way of thinking. They can see like, okay, here's here's the first one. Here's the second one. It kind of gets it. And then the third one go, oh, okay, that's the third one almost has like the most potential. That makes sense. Um, So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I think about when, in terms of, you know, how do we answer those things? And hopefully when I write something that comes through. Yep. Get to the point, get things shared, be relevant and, and be engaging. Uh, you know, sometimes it does hurt just a little bit when you write something really, you think it's very creative and out there and people don't even um, recognize it negatively or positively and just say, you know, all this other, this one option, I like this. You know, I'm like, did you read the next option? Um, and sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Now, in the book, you talk about getting to the point. I know you, you talk about get to the joke quicker or, or whatever. But and in, in I see different types of writing. Of course, I grew up in journalism. So, you know, don't bury the lead. Right. Get to it. Like, tell us what it's about. But then I also see some really good writing where they just string you along. And of course, in like, you know, if I read this is fiction writing, but Frida McFadden, you know, she just strings you along in her books forever and ever. And then the hammer hits the last 30 pages and you're like, oh my goodness. Um, what, how important is it to get to the point or, or what's the right mix when it comes to, to business storytelling? Wow, that's a great question. I think for business storytelling, I'll, I'll use direct mail as an example. Direct mail is very interesting because... A lot of people look at it as archaic or Jurassic marketing. We all get junk mail, you know, in the in the mailbox and we all get credit card offers and things like that. And I know many of us don't even open it and we just throw it away. But direct mail is still one of the most cost effective forms of marketing and clients love it because it's cheap or it's cost effective and it's trackable. Um, and then if you're at an ad agency, your creative director will like it if you're writing. And I think one of the reasons for that is direct mail has so many moving parts. There's the actual letter itself. And the letter is a little more of like a long form story. Um, It's a long form story about the product or the offer that's on the outside of the envelope. So there's just so many things that go into writing direct mail. There's the letter itself. And then what's the messaging on the front of the envelope? And then what's the messaging on the back of the envelope? And then with that letter, does that letter have 
a little, you know, tearaway card that you can kind of pull off and maybe, you know, stick in your wallet for a rainy day. So all those things kind of have to fit together. All that copy that's in the letter copy, you kind of have to narrow it down on the front of the envelope, the back of the envelope, and in that little that little pull-off card. So I feel like anytime a company sends out a communication with direct mail, they're kind of telling a little bit of a brand story. And, you know, like I said, if I could give any advice to any people just getting into copywriting or junior copywriters, it's learn direct mail. Uh, You will be very valued at your company. I think every agency needs at least one copywriter who knows the ins and outs of direct mail. Oh, my goodness. I have not done direct mail in a long, long time, um, but I certainly see the value and especially uh, but it kind of depends on what your business is, too. Right. I mean, if you're in uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. There was just a massage um, therapist moved in just down the road. I mean, why wouldn't she send direct mail to everybody in that area? Right. Because there's nobody else around that. And you certainly will see it. Now, I don't remember how I saw it. I want to say. I Googled for it and I was just, you know, because there's all kinds of new development going in in, in that area. Um, but certainly that's an easy way to reach people. Josh, it was great to have you on the show. Good luck with the book um, and definitely a topic I think everybody should take to heart because at the end of the day, uh, if we don't know how to tell our story, how are we going to make it? How are we going to stand out? So, of course, we need words to, to do that. Really appreciate you making the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.